Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm the pastor here. You're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Uh, our goal here is to do what any good Christian church should do, which is help you connect with God in a worshipful way, but also help you grow in a relationship with Him. Our style, it just might be a bit different than what you're used to or what other churches in the area do, but we still are true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide you in your walk weekly with God. This week, we're continuing our series called Deep Clean. Uh, you know the kind of clean, like where you don't just make room for the moment, but you clear stuff out for a fresh start. Like the kind that kind of hurts at first to get rid of or to like clean out of your life, and then you totally forget about once it's gone. Like keeping all those extra peanut butter jars or jars that you've been collecting or cereal boxes. You're just like, I just, maybe I'll use them someday, you know, or Beanie Babies. Did anybody collect Beanie Babies back in the day? No, I'm not just calling out people who have hoarding personalities because we all hoard to some extent, right? And we all need a deep clean in some areas of our lives. And it seems over the last six months or so, as I've been reflecting on my own life, things have just been a bit messier, a bit more disorganized, and a bit without direction in some areas. But even more with stuff, I want to say I feel some areas that have been messy for me have been my priorities in life or my schedule, my relationships with others, and then also my future plans of sticking to them. It's like we went from this kind of survival mode, right? Survival, reduce, empty, fight through type mode with all the changes of COVID. And then this past spring and summer, we've slowly added more and more to our routine, more and more to our schedule to eventually get to this messy, full situation again that maybe isn't even what we want for life. It's time for a deep clean. And as someone who maybe is a follower of Jesus or someone who's just maybe open to hearing from God or getting direction from God, there are some very basic tips Jesus has modeled for us on how to cleanse these things. This week, we're talking about deep cleaning our relationships, as in our friendships. To get you thinking about friends, I thought we'd play a little game because I love games. Uh, and I'm going to put a picture of a friend group on, on the screen back here. And I want to see if you can name the TV show. So, all right, here we go. Here's our first one. Oh, all right, next one. Whoa, all right. I thought I would like to throw you for a loop. How about this one? All right. I like, okay, on that one, I like that there was a little bit more authority with it. Rugrats, like, say it out loud. I like it, right? Oh, yes. Whoever, yes. All right. Oh, rocket power. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Friends. All right, well done. Little, like, tired this morning. More coffee is needed. Uh, well, well done, though. Well done. Now that you're thinking about friends, though, think about your own friendships. Because, again, this week we're talking about deep cleaning our relationships. Because it seems like adding and gaining friendships these days, it's kind of a common thing. Especially virtually this last year. And it's kind of 
leaving us in this full messy situation. What I think is happening is, is we've been adding more and more people in our networks in person, our networks online through Facebook and Instagram and social media. And we're even hanging on to friendships longer with someone that maybe you know from way back when because we have capabilities for it, right? I mean, I'm personally experiencing it. I want to grow my network. I hold on to relationships from the past, from even like small little meetings where you're like, oh, let's be Facebook friends. Yeah, and you have like these minor connections. I want more friends than ever before. I try to get to know more and more people. I even say yes to being friends with people I don't even really like or know. Like, I actually get these, like, friend requests from exotic, unique people. And the reason I say exotic is they have cool names. I get these friend requests on Facebook. And, like, I look at it and, like, I'll be like, Yosh, Abe? I got to be friends with him. I got to accept it, right? You know, you get these random requests from people. And I'm, like, tempted. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll be friends with him. And then they send me messages like, hey, I have this video of you doing some, like, bad things. If you don't send me a certain amount of money, it's going to be released. You know, I have, like, the message, yeah, is this you in this video? I have other messages with people, but, like, is this you in this video? Send us money and we won't release this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then it's not even just with Facebook. I have these people who feel like they're friends or something. They call me pretty much every day because they're so concerned about my car warranty and my student loan debt. They call me daily. They must be, like, really close to me. I even had people emailing me saying they have an inheritance of about a million dollars. They just need my social security number, uh, and they'll pass it on to me. What a great friend, right? I have people from all different areas want to be my friend, right? Honestly, though, these are, these are scam artists. These are spam. So don't, if you, if you get these requests, they're not real. Um, but I, for, to be real with you, I've grown a pretty big network of friends on social media, or I try to create friendships with people, and I feel like I interact friendly with, with others that I want to call friends at times. Maybe this is just me. Even with so many friends like, that I've kind of made this network of, I still feel lonely at times. I still feel lonely. I still feel lost. Like, even physically, I feel lonely at times. Or I feel low in my friendships. And I'm wondering, does anybody care about me at times, even with all these different connections? And if I'm going almost off of any survey or statistic out there, some of you probably do too. I want to just shoot some general friendship statistics at you, and I want to see if you can relate to some of these. Uh, according to Facebook, on average, their users have about 338 friends. But the research of Oxford University, they state most Facebook users would say they only trust four of their Facebook friends with private information. That's 334 friends in this other category. A survey of 1,000 uh, 1, Americans, uh, this is before the pandemic, they cited that three in five people are lonely. Three in five are lonely. If you look to the person to the right of you and to the left of you, one of you is not lonely. That's crazy. Now, another survey I looked at is that I personally can relate to is it was, it was done with a group of men, all fathers in their 30s and 40s, who got together to talk about fatherhood. And when they asked, like, do you have any real friends you can connect with, real friends that you can get close to and, and talk vulnerably with? And of, those that, of that group, 10% said yes. 
10% said they had a close friend they could talk to. Today, the average American only has one close confidant. Statistics point to the leading reason people seek out counseling is loneliness. These are just a few random facts, statistics out there that you can gain by just doing a, a quick Google search. Sure, there's definitely some skew to these things, or the numbers can be looked at a different way through surveys, but what they're doing is they're showing us that many of us have the appearance of friends, but we're still very lonely. So I'm confused. What is it actually, right? Like, do we have hundreds or thousands of friends, like Facebook kind of shows, or do we have, like, none? Have we had some amazing life changes that have happened since those surveys were done, where you have, you know, friends that, like, are all of a sudden appearing, or not any? Does friendship even mean the same anymore? What I'm advocating for today as, as we look to the Bible is, is what if Jesus, what if Jesus has modeled for us how we are to have friendships and relationships, as in the right quantity, as in the type of connection, and what a friend should do and look like or be like? What if we need a general clean on our friendships that, uh, for us to keep moving forward with things? Because I got to ask you, don't you want good friendships? Don't you think it would be nice to have at least another couple that you could have a close confidant with other than maybe your spouse? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could have someone that you could grow and be real with, that you could talk about marriage, parenting, faith, choices, get advice from? Wouldn't it be amazing if you had a core group of people who you could count on for things? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus and what he did during his relationships over his 33 years on earth. Examining how his life has been the kind of the core of this series, this deep cleaning series. Deep cleaning, it's, it's not some like magical thing or big new idea. Just like many of the things covered in this series, they're not like some big theological or biblical idea. But it's something that just needs to happen in our lives. We're going to look at proven practices that we need to add into our lives or do. As we dive in, some information you need to know about Jesus uh, before we look at some specific stories that I mentioned even a little bit last week if you were here is Jesus lived to about 33 years old. He decided to start his ministry when he was about 30. Now, he, what, we don't, what we know about his childhood is very limited. We know kind of the birth story, but then we don't know a ton about him growing up. But around 30, he kind of shows up alone, on his own. So he went from being alone to creating this following of thousands of people at the end of his time on earth. He trained and developed a close-knit relationship that the Bible talks about with 12 specific people. His disciples is what they're called. And of those 12, he has favorites. He has favorites. He has the, his best friends. I know, it's like the question kids ask, like, Am I your favorite? You know, and like you, you want the response, like, I, I am your favorite, yeah, you know. But Jesus actually has favorites where parents are like, no, you, I love you all the same. Jesus actually has favorites when he was here on earth. Now, knowing this, though, we're going to look at a few specific stories to see how Jesus handled relationships. And to start, I don't know if you caught it in the beginning, Jesus was 30 and he started his ministry with like no one. Zero people. And then started to gain close relationships. Now, I'm not advocating for never having a friend until you're 30. But what this shows is before Jesus starts a mission, before he goes into ministry, before he has a public life or is serious about relationships, he knew who he was. 
He knew who he was as a person. When you spend 30 years preparing for ministry, preparing for something, you've got a lot of time to figure out who you are, right? But that, that is unless like you're, you're stuck at home and you're like being only taught by your parents and that's the only thing that you know. But honestly, Jesus, besides his birth story, we only really have one adolescent interaction with Jesus in the Bible. We're going to read it. It's in Luke 2. Uh, it's 41 and it's a longer passage. And it says this, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find them, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? First off, as we're reading that, I just got to say, I don't care if you're raising the son of God or you're raising an average Joe. They get the bad parent ward there, right? Like, forgetting your child for three days, yikes, right? I, I, I don't even know, like, if I could handle that. But anyways, but at the end of it, I don't know if you caught this. Jesus was amazing people, but I don't think that was his intention being in the temple. If we look back at the passage, there's a couple two points that I want to stick out here. It says, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And he said, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be in the temple. I had to be in a place to learn. Jesus was learning. He was listening. He was discovering. He was connecting with God. He was figuring out who he is and what his connection to God was like. After this moment, the next time we hear from Jesus is in the Bible is literally he shows up for the first time, gets baptized, starts his ministry, and then even still disappears for 40 days. In Matthew 4.4 4 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became hungry. When you spend 40 days and 40 nights alone... You find out real quick who you are, right? You figure out who you are as a person. Jesus, before he made any lifelong relationships or friendships, before he even tried to connect with masses or friend request anyone, he found out who he was as a person. Have you done that personally? Have you deep cleaned to see what do you want really in life? What do you personally want in a relationship, in a friendship, what are your goals? What are your dreams, visions? What's a value you have? What's important to you? What's your personal connection with God like? Some of y'all are like, uh, I haven't done that. I kind of like seeing it on your face. I haven't done that. But I got so-and-so with me here. We, we kind of have like a few rugrats. And I don't really have time to like focus on me. Well, when you got married, you became one. You became one, and you're the process of those things together. There are times you want Cheetos and she wants broccoli. So you need to discuss and have some give and take, right? Because you're a unit. You're one. What are your relationship goals, your dreams as a couple, your vision as a couple? What are the give and takes that you two need to come to conclusion on? 
to move forward. You're one. There should be one vision. Sure, you're going to have different ambitions or hobbies or passions, but you should be in sync. There's kind of a poetic picture of this uh, in the Bible. It's in Genesis. You've probably heard of Adam and Eve. Well, Adam was the first man made is kind of how the story goes. He's, he's living life, eating chips without a chip clip, leaving the seat up, uh, living with, it, with creation on his own. But he's on his own first. He knows who he is. And then Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So Eve was made to be a helper. She was made of Adam's ribs is how the story goes. But the word helper here, sometimes we kind of look at it and be like, oh, she's just the helper. No. Helper in scripture, it's not some inferior word. It's the same Hebrew word used throughout all the Old Testament on how scripture says God is your helper. When they say God is your helper, it's the exact same word. As the Lord is being your helper in Hebrew, that's who Eve is supposed to be to Adam. As in Adam and Eve were one, equals, meant to walk side by side together. There's a scholar who, who's done a ton of Bible commentary. Uh, Matthew Henry is his name, and he states this, and I thought it's very well said. Uh, he says, the woman was made out of, out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. The first humans were one. They knew the direction they wanted to go. They pursued it together. If you don't know the story, they pursued wrong things, but they did it together in sync. With all this said, do you and your spouse, do you need to take time to get in sync? Maybe to deep clean the direction you're going. Talk, figure things out, especially before you add friendships and couples into the relationship. Couple friends are hard, right? Couple friends are hard. You find a couple, but someone is always a weird one in the situation, right? You need, right? You need to make sure you as a couple are in sync so that like, if they're like, hey, you want to hang out again? One of you is not like, yeah, and the other one's like, no, you know, like you got to be in sync about things. But as a couple, you do need to know what's important to you, what's important in having another couple friend. If you don't have a spouse, it's just you, great. Much easier to figure out on your own, but you still have to dedicate time. Dedicate time and effort to know what you are setting your life towards. Again, when we're looking at Jesus, before he developed friendships, he knew what he wanted for himself. What he was all about. It was his mission to teach, to heal, to connect, and then to die eventually. That was his mission. That was what he knew he was meant to do. The next thing we see Jesus do in relationships is he takes risk. He takes a risk. Jesus risked asking and trying to make connections with others. Whether you're asking someone or a couple to be your friend or you're trying to start a relationship, there's risk involved, right? Like on both parties' ends. I thought I'd share. This is an awkward story for me to share, but I'm going to share it. Uh, when I first met my wife, uh, I was working at a church at the time. This is the first time we we're actually meeting each other. Uh, I was working at a church, and all of a sudden she shows up to go on a mission trip just to Milwaukee. And she shows up at the door, and I've never met her before. I'm leading the mission trip. She's a college student at the time. And I'm, uh, she shows up, and I'm like, oh, hey. 
<laughs> but, I, but I'm a professional. I'm working there. I'm like, hey. You know, and I see her, and I'm like, hey, I don't think we met. Like, because that was a big part of my role was connecting with new people uh, at that church. And I don't think we met. No, we haven't. I know. <laughs> uh, so are you your college student? Great. Like, oh, what do you study? Oh, Spanish and education? Me too. That's what I did. It's oh, cool. Yeah. We got common. What do you what do you like to do? Oh, you play soccer? Oh, me too. You know, like we're having all this bond. We go on this mission trip together. She avoids me on all costs. Yeah. But there is also this internal like dialogue I'm going through myself where I'm like, I'm the pastor here. This is kind of awkward, like, like. I kind of got to ask her to coffee because, like, she's a new person, right? So, like, that's my job at the church. I got to ask her to coffee, obviously. So I ask her to coffee, and she, she says yes. And, like, thinking it's kind of like a church meeting, you know, like, we're having coffee. By the way, anytime I ask you for coffee, it doesn't mean it's a date. I uh, just want to let you know. Um, <laughs> but we have coffee, and we're sipping coffee, and I'm like, we're talking about life, and it's great, and we're connecting, and... I'm at the point where it's like, I want to ask this girl out. But there's like this internal like fight for me. Like, like what if like it doesn't work out? She's, she's not coming to church again. Like I'm nervous about her salvation. I'm nervous about like whether she's going to shut me down. Now I'm going to be embarrassed. Like there's just so many things going on inside. So like I finally was like, hey, so do you think we can maybe like get dinner sometime? And she's like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm like, and then I'm like, but, but then there's the awkward part where I'm like, can I get your, I think I have your email. Can I email you for dinner? And then she's like, do you want my number? <laughs> yes. Thank you for making it easy for me. No. But anyways, there, there was a risk that was involved in me. And there was a risk involved in her of like going out with a creepy pastor potentially. You know, and we ended up going out to dinner and the rest is history as everyone says, Right. But again, what happens is her and I, she, we had to take a risk for each other. And she eventually said yes, and it worked out. But this is what has to happen in any relationship, right? If you want a relationship, you got to take a risk. you got to take a risk. Whether it's a relationship that's romantic or whether it's a friendship, there's risk involved. Showing up where other people are going to be, that's a risk. Trying to start a conversation, that's a risk. Asking, hey, do you want to hang out? Let's grab dinner, that's a risk. Messaging back in my day, like, like online or on Facebook, that was like shameful to do like to other people. Like you, you didn't do that. You had to ask in person. But now that's like totally accepted. That's totally fine and easy. Send a message, but there's a risk. Message another couple. You want to connect. There's a risk. Jesus, he knew what he wanted in relationships and then literally risked and he asked people he thought would be a fit for him as a re relationship with. Again, early on, he was kind of a nobody just some kind of weird dude walking around, probably barefoot is what I'm picturing. But in Mark 1.16, it says this, like, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and then they left their father Zebedee, in the boat and he with the hired men and followed him. Maybe they heard or saw about his baptism, but Jesus was a nobody. And if some dude said this to me, like, hey, come follow me, I'd be like, tell me more, I guess, but probably not. I don't know if they were just like kind of saying yes to the 
potential freak show that this can maybe turn out to be. But they went. They went. Both, and that was a risk for them. Both Jesus and the people he asked had a risk. They had a risk. Have you done that with relationships you want to develop? Put yourself out there. Some people are going to just say no, right? Some are going to pretend like they'll maybe make something happen. But, but all you can do is risk to start something if that's really what you want. Jesus did this risk to others. And more and more people kind of invited themselves into like a relationship with him. Because all of a sudden he has like these hundreds of thousands of, of, of followers. People who visited and learned from him. Yet he wasn't close to all of them. He deep cleaned them. And this is our third part that he does. Is he analyzed and refined his relationships. Jesus knew the type of people he wanted to be around, and he knew he couldn't be friends with everyone, so he picked a few while he was here on earth. He analyzed and refined from the thousands and was committed and loyal to the twelve. Have you done that with your relationship and friendships? Analyzed and refined? You just can't be friends with everyone, right? At least close friends. Again, I feel like there needs to be a different word for those other categories out there, like acquaintances or the people that are on Facebook or whatever. Jesus knew there were 12, 12 he could be close to. So he points the 12. In Mark 3.13, it says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he called to them those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He had 12, 12 to be with him. There were a few others that we read about throughout Jesus' time that you can see that he was close with, like Mary Magdalene. You can see that he was close with James, his brother. Uh, Lazarus is another person you kind of read about through Scripture that he was close with. And how we know this is he knew them by first name. He knew them by first name, and he had multiple conversations with them. More than once in Scripture we see this. And to pause and just clarify where we're maybe at in this discussion for you as you're thinking about your own relationships Knowing who you are and risking for friends could be, like, totally enough for you today. It might be exactly what you need. But some of you are here, you have plenty of friends. You have lots of friends, a surplus of friends, which the analyze and refine part is especially for you. You have hundreds of people you know, but how many would you know by name and strike a conversation with when you saw them? Personally, that, that's my elimination factor of, like, whether or not I'd add someone on Facebook. If I would say hi to them in person, uh, I, we should be friends on Facebook. If I wouldn't, we probably shouldn't be friends on Facebook. That's awkward. No matter how cool of a name you have, right? But then, of those, how many are actually getting you to where you want to go? Keeping you on track, accountable, uh, guiding you. How many of those are actually doing that? Two things Jesus did is he refined the people he knew by name and people that got him to where he wanted to go. That was the 12. That was the 12. You know how many people know your dirty past? How many people know your life dreams? How many people have sacrificed like, or know the sacrifice you've done in your own life, the struggle you're facing or about to face? How many of those people in your life are around you? For Jesus, there were 12. And then there were three, though, that were specific to him. He had three favorites or best that really knew him. 
This inner circle was Peter, James, and John. And how we know that is these three witnessed some major events that the other disciples did not. Jesus called only these three to come to witness these things. The first one was, was raising, a dead, uh, raising a dead girl to life. This is in Mark uh, 5.37. I think I have the passage, yeah. Raising a dead girl to life, his full power, they get to experience. The transfiguration of himself. He goes on a mountaintop and the, the light shines on him. And these three are able to see like, whoa, you're something different. And then, like, they also get to see him in his stress and his anxiety about what he's about to do when he's about to go to the cross and about to die. These three are with him. They're praying with him. They're, they're seeing him actually, like, tear up and nervous. They get to see the real Jesus, these three. The inner scoop. Jesus had the structure of a hundreds to thousand followers to twelve-ish to three. It seems similar to like what the statistics had we had in the beginning, uh, but it's also similar to kind of what the research says out there. Uh, if we look at, there's this anthropologist, his name is Robin Dunbar, and he says human brains have a limit on how many meaningful relationships that they can keep track of. Dunbar says most people can have, if you look at this graph here, most people can have about five close relationships, spouse or really close people, 15 good friends that kind of know you, and then there's 50 friends, people that you have acquaintances with, or people you would invite to a personal event, or a wedding, or dinner. And then 150 people that you'd invite to a really big party. Now, that's kind of the breakdown, and that's kind of what Jesus did. Have you done that breakdown? Do you have your 12? Do you have your 3? And do they align with the first two things Jesus did? People that help you go the direction you want to go in life. And people who have risked a bit to be your friend. They've put themselves out there. You can usually tell a good relationship from a bad one or know that if it's a relationship that, that God wants for you by answering the question, does this relationship help me? I, uh, I had a couple of, like really close friends uh, in high school and it kind of carried into college a little bit. Uh, close friends in high school and uh, there were eight of us, eight of us uh, that I kind of maintained for quite a while actually. We did dumb stuff in high school, uh, video games, we, we'd chat with girls, we'd do sports. We'd be all about eating stuff. That was, that was kind of what we were all about. We were all very different in what we liked, but we had a few things in common and it was kind of unique. What we chose to do in high school specifically was we chose not to drink alcohol and we wanted to be the best athletes we could. That's what we had in common. We all played different sports and stuff, but that was like what our vision was as a friend group. It was awesome. And we were able to maintain that through high school. What else does a high schooler need, right? Like, more things than that, right? Not really. Definitely. High schoolers definitely need more than that. But out of high school, once that was done, I had the eight still. But life wasn't about being an athlete anymore. And honestly, some of us drifted to drinking uh, before we should. Myself included. That was me. The thing we were living for or that was different now for some of us, was the purpose, the faith, the partying, the girls. The, uh, some of us, it was maybe still about being an athlete. Some of us, it was about trying to make as much money or uh, figuring out how to do academics well. Those were our purposes. They were scattered. And our relationships kind of started to fizzle. I lost some of my friends. And some of them that were more faithful to me, uh, more faithful than me, uh, they, they didn't really want to be a part of what I was a part of. 
They were friendly, but they weren't, I wasn't part of their eight anymore. And then I started to make changes in my own life where I started to kind of really double down on my faith and get serious about my faith. And I actually decided that I can't be friends with these eight anymore. I, we don't have the same purpose. We don't have the same mission. Uh, and there would be times I'd still try to like connect with them and hang out with. And sometimes in my infancy as a Christian, I would get sucked back into doing things I wasn't proud of. Drinking, dumb texting, whatever it was. Decisions that I was not proud of at all. But they were proud of me at that time. The eight that like were into that stuff, they were proud of me. They were like, yeah, we love this when you get this way, Aaron. And I realized eventually our relationships could not go on anymore. It couldn't go on. My closest of the eight were, were no longer. Our lives weren't moving in the same direction. Now that was me. And I'm not saying like you can't be friends with people who aren't Christian or aren't the exact same as you. But Jesus chose specific people to be close with. Who are you choosing to be close with? Who are you choosing? The last thing we can see that Jesus does is he connects. He connects with people. He actually uh, gets close with them. When Jesus had his group of three or 12, we can see in the Bible he dined with them, like ate together. He traveled with them. He socialized with them. He prayed with them. He was real with them. He, he was there to help each other. They, that's what they did. Today, who are you doing those things with? Today, who are you doing those things with? Are they the same people you would have analyzed and refined to be your three or 12? They probably should match. They should match. For you, who are the people you are already doing these things with or could start doing these things with? Like people who can help you become the best you. Scripture talks about in Proverbs 27, 27 17, iron sharpens iron so as another person sharpens another. Who's that friend that can sharpen you? People who are, aren't just praying for you, but people that are praying with you. Who's that? Who's praying with you? Who are the people that are actually showing up when you had something crummy happen to you? Who actually knows the real you? As in, who have you been vulnerable with at some point? I know, vulnerable is not the word anyone likes to hear, right? I think every man specifically hates the word vulnerable, myself included. But if you're a Christian person, these are things that... You might be like, nah, kind of cheesy, kind of lame. But, but what if you had people who you could connect with and not tiptoe around of like talking about the whole God thing? What if you had people who really knew you, who knew the direction you wanted to go with faith, who knew that you wanted to be going forward with God? And even further, what if you could be with people who actually would help you become a better follower of God? People who would actually sharpen you. And want you to be the best you. People who aren't just praying for you, but people praying with you. This is my time. I, I get to do like a shameless plug for life groups. Uh, uh, and all your relationships probably go away if you're in a life group. Not so much. Uh, because honestly, everyone that hops in your life group, they're, they're going to be great. There might be some weird people. It's going to be normal. But you're still going to have like struggles. You're still going to be uh, kind of having to try and connect with like random people. But what you can know if you sign up for a life group and what I can promise you is there will be some you can identify with and you can connect with and you can start a relationship with. You can know that all the people that will be in a life group, whether they're weird or not, that they want to grow in a relationship with God. And they want to be sharpened and help you get sharpened just like you do. They want to pray with you and pray with you. 
What if you gave it a five-week shot? What if you just tried a life group to see if those relationships could be real and meaningful? Uh, we have a, a card in the seat there uh, that you can maybe sign up on to be in a life group. Uh, there, grab it right, right in front of you in the chairs there. There's a, a card. You can grab it. I made it super easy for you to sign up. What you can do is you can literally grab the card and you can fill out that card and make sure you write on there the day that you'd like to sign up for a life group. It doesn't even really matter. You can pick Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We have like one basically every day. You can pick whether or not you need childcare, and then I'll help place you into a life group that I think could be an amazing fit for you. Uh, but that's something you can do in your seat. and You can put that in the offering basket as it comes by. And it's literally a five-week commitment. How bad can it be? You need to be people. It's not good for man to be alone, says Genesis, says God in the Bible. Now, as we look at Jesus and what he did with relationships, we can see that he can deep, we can deep clean our own relationships by figuring out who we are personally, by taking a risk on people, refining and analyzing who we are, and connecting with people we have let in, actually. Which one do you need to work on this week? Which one for you to deep clean your relationships? For you, do you need to maybe take some time alone or time away with your spouse to figure out the direction you want to go together? Maybe for you, it's, it's actually putting yourself out there, taking a risk, showing up, introducing yourself, asking someone to dinner. For you, maybe it's you need to refine from the, the hundreds to the 12 or to the three. Maybe you got to figure out what those are for you or who those people are for you. Or finally, maybe you need to let some people in who are your three, who are your 12, and actually connect with them, have them sharpen you. Join a life group, tell them, converse with them where you're at. Again, Jesus does all of these. And if you've been a Christian person for a while, you probably know these things about Jesus already. Again, today's message isn't some biblical revelation or any big idea out there, but cleaning isn't either. We all know how to clean and we all know cleanliness is important. But we still don't do it all the time. We sometimes neglect it. So that's why we're addressing this now. I'm going to pray for God's guidance in a second. That we act on what we are feeling right now about deep cleaning our relationships. But I know there's, there's maybe someone out there right now that is kind of like feeling that maybe they want what Jesus offers. This full clean. This deep clean in all areas of life. Whether it's priorities or schedule or relationships or so much more. I want you to know that Jesus does offer that to you. You can simply say that to him. Be like, God, I, I, I know you offer a deep clean, a fresh start. I need that. Will you give that to me? And you can be on this journey with God of starting a relationship with him and becoming a Christian. So you can go to that and you can pray that to God in just a second here. I'm going to pray right now for the people that, that want their relationships to be deep cleaned. And then also pray for the people that want their whole lives to be deep cleaned. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving us an example of how to deep clean our relationships. Thanks for just modeling of how we, how we can go from having hundreds of thousands of potential friends, but coming down to figuring out how to get to the 12, how to get to the 3 of people that are actually close to us. You know it's not good for us to, to be alone. So God, I pray that some of us help us figure out how to, how to take that risk and, and find those people that can be godly friendships. And then, God, some of us are saying we, we want this deep clean of our whole life. God, we know that you offer fresh starts. So, God, we're saying give us that fresh start. We know we've done wrong in the past, but please give us that fresh start and be with us as we go forward and start following you more. 